Edward Henry Machin reflected, as at six minutes to six he approached his own dwelling at the top of Bleakridge, and yet I don't feel so jolly after all. The first two words of this disturbing meditation had reference to the fact that, by telephoning twice to his stockbrokers at Manchester, he had just made the sum of three hundred and forty-one pounds in a purely speculative transaction concerning rubber shares. It was the autumn of the great gambling year, 1910. He had simply opened his lucky and wise mouth at the proper moment, and the money, like ripe golden fruit, had fallen into it. A gift from benign heaven, surely a cause for happiness, and yet he did not feel so jolly. He was surprised. He was even a little hurt to discover, by introspection, that monetary gain was not necessarily accompanied by felicity. Nevertheless, this very successful man of the world of the five towns, having been born on the 27th of May, 1867, had reached the age of forty-three and a half years. I must be getting older, he reflected. He was right. He was still young, as every man of forty-three will agree. But he was getting older. A few years ago, a windfall of three hundred and forty-one pounds would not have been followed by morbid self-analysis. It would have been followed by unreasoning, instinctive elation, which elation would have endured at least twelve hours. As he disappeared within the reddish garden wall which sheltered his abode from the publicity of Trafalgar Road, he half hoped to see Nellie waiting for him on the famous marble step of the porch, for the woman had long, long since invented a way of scouting for his advent from the small window in the bathroom. But there was nobody on the marble step. His melancholy increased. At the midday meal he had complained of neuralgia, and hence this was an evening upon which he might fairly have expected to see sympathy charmingly attired in the porch. It is true that the neuralgia had completely gone. Still, he said to himself with justifiable sardonic gloom, how does she know my neuralgia's gone? She doesn't know. Having opened the front door, with the thinnest, neatest latchkey in the five towns, he entered his home and stumbled slightly over a brush that was lying against the sunk doormat. He gazed at that brush with resentment. It was a dilapidated hand-brush. The offensive object would have been out of place at nightfall in the lobby of any house. But in the lobby of his house, the house which he had planned a dozen years earlier to the special end of minimising domestic labour, and which he had always kept up to date with the latest devices, in his lobby, the spectacle of a vile, outworn handbrush at tea time amounted to a scandal. Less than a fortnight previously, he had purchased and presented to his wife a marvellous electric vacuum cleaner, surpassing all former vacuum cleaners. You simply attached this machine by a cord to the wall, like a dog, and waved it in mysterious passes over the floor, like a fan, and the home was clean. He was as proud of this machine as though he had invented it, instead of having merely bought it. Every day he inquired about its feats, expecting enthusiastic replies as a sort of reward for his own keenness. And be it said that he had had enthusiastic replies. And now this obscene handbrush. 
as he carefully removed his hat and his beautiful new Melton overcoat, which had the colour and the soft smoothness of a damson, he animadverted on the astounding negligence of women. There were Nelly, his wife, his mother, the nurse, the cook, the maid, five of them, and in his mind they had all plotted together a conspiracy of carelessness to leave the inexcusable tool in his lobby for him to stumble over. What was the use of accidentally procuring three hundred and forty-one pounds? Still no sign of Nelly, though he purposely made a noisy rattle with his ebon walking-stick. Then the maid burst out of the kitchen with a tray, and the principal utensils for high tea thereon. She had a guilty air. The household was evidently late. Two steps at a time he rushed upstairs to the bathroom, so as to be waiting in the dining-room at six precisely, in order, if possible, to shame the household and fill it with remorse and unpleasantness. Yet ordinarily he was...